Good morning. Good morning. Right. So I got an email from Pastor Dwayne about two months ago, and it was very, if you've ever got an email from him, it's like one sentence. <laughs> there is no elaboration at all. So it was, you've got Thyatira and Philadelphia. These are the dates. And I looked at Vicki and I said, this is a setup. There is no such place as Thyatira. I have never heard of that place in my life. So I looked it up and sure enough, there was. It's a small city, still a small city. It's about 70 miles from the, coast, the Mediterranean coastline in Turkey. It was the smallest of the seven cities that got letters from John but it was the biggest letter, the longest letter, because they had a serious problem. It was founded by um, the General Seleucid, who was uh, one of Alexander the Great's generals, and he was camped outside this site, and he got news of his daughter's birth, and so he named the city Thuyatira, which in Greek means daughter. So we know it as Thyatira, which is a lot easier to pronounce. Um, there's another mention of it in the New Testament. Anybody know where that is or what, what it's about? The person's name is Lydia. Lydia of Paul speaks of Lydia of Thyatira, a, right, a dyer of purple. And that's what this city was all about. There's a small snail that lives in the Eastern Mediterranean and secretes this purple juice. And there's a plant that grows in this area and if you beat the roots of this plant, you get out this purple dye. So they would gather these snails and squeeze them. I don't know how many you need, but they would get this purple dye out of the body and they would dye the textiles, and it was from this place. Purple in, the, in this time period was the color of royalty because it was so hard to get. So if you watch the Gladiator and, or Roman new movies or that period, the royalty, the, the emperor, the princes, they all have purple on, and they were the only ones that were allowed to wear that. So it was highly regulated, the whole system, from the squeezing of the snail, the beating of the root, to the dyeing of the textiles, the sails, everything was regulated. So let's look at this little church with the big problem. Okay. To the angel in the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. All of the letters begin with the salutation, Son of Man, except for this one. So when we speak of the Son of Man and when the Son of Man is mentioned in Revelations, it is talking about our advocate to God, our representative to God. When it speaks of the Son of God, it speaks in terms of he's not our advocate, he is our judge. And that term is used later in Revelations and when we talk about the judgment seat of God. So 
He's coming to judge this city, whose feet are like burnished bronze. There was a, okay, so the church in Thyatira was not like us. There was no pastor. There was no pastor's wife. There was no guest speaker. There was no Bible. There was no building. 90% of the people were illiterate. Um, they would attach themselves to somebody that could read and write, and he would read the letters of Paul or the Gospels or whatever was circulating at the time. They may have met in, on his grounds. They may have met on a different day in the building in the synagogue because there hadn't been this total separation yet. But it was a very small church, and, and they were finding their own way. Every one of these little churches was like independent of everything else. There was no denomination or no church, per se, as we, when we think about like the Catholic church. So everybody's finding their own way, and there were heresies. People would like read the gospels, and they would say, hmm, well, I have an idea about this. And then they would write about this idea. So one of the ideas they were writing about at the time period was that there were two gods. There was the God of the Old Testament, the guy who kills people with floods and puts them into bondage and whacks them every time they get out of line. And he was that bad evil, not evil, but he was that bad correcting kind of guy. And then there's the God of the New Testament, Jesus, love, mercy. They couldn't be the same guy. He could not kill everybody with a flood and then give everybody salvation. Okay, so there were two separate gods. They were like brothers or something. It's, it's weird. <laughs> it's just weird stuff that was happening in the first century. So John, and I don't know if he did this purposefully or not, but this is a reference that ties Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, to the God of the Old Testament. Because this quote comes out of Daniel 10.6. Um, his face was like topaz. His voice was like a mighty multitude. His eyes were like lightning. His feet were like burnished bronze. So it is a direct quote out of the Old Testament, tying Christ to Yahweh. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely until they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. And then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay all of you according to your deeds." What they needed to know in Thyatira was what they were doing would be judged. It wasn't, I believe, I have faith, I believe, I repent. There was more to it. 
He was letting them know, and Paul does this when he writes to the different churches also. What you do in life is going to be judged in some manner at some time. Your deeds are important. Matthew 7, 21, 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, haven't we prophesied in your name and driven out demons and done mighty works in your name? And then I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. The directive is that it is a good thing to believe in me, but you will also be judged for doing God's will and for the trust of the Holy Spirit in your life. I will repay you according to your deeds. The last part of this is, uh, now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teachings and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burdens on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from the Father, I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I will give him the morning star. I have no idea what that means. There's three references to morning star. One is in Job, and he talks about angels. He calls them the morning stars. And then one is in um, 2 Peter, and um, that talks about Jesus as the morning star. And, um, and then there is another reference and that talks of Satan in, in, in um, which one? Isaiah. Um, I saw the morning star fall from heaven, and it's a reference to Satan. So I don't know what he was, meant. But all of them, in, in my mind, all of them work. So if he says, I will give them the morning star, it says, I will give them Jesus. I will give them myself. Or it could mean, I will make them angels. Or it could mean, I will put Satan under your feet. I will give you power over the things of the world. So they all work in some way or the other. How he actually meant it, I don't know. So the Thyatirans were organized around this textile manufacturing. And they were organized into guilds or unions. So there was the growers' union, the weavers' union, the dyers' union, the labor unions of a sort. Thyatira was Pittsburgh, <laughs> or Detroit, or Chicago. It was a union town. Um, I, I, I belonged to the union. In, I was in graduate school, and my dad got me a job at Uniroyal building tires at night. So I would go in at 11 o'clock at night and build tires till 8 in the morning, or, and then I would go home. And I was newly married, and so I did newly married things when I got home, and 
then I would uh, sleep for a while, and then I would go to graduate school, and then I'd go eat dinner, and then I'd go work again. That was it. Uh, you know, I could not do that schedule today. It would kill me in, overnight. But I worked faithfully every night. My boss said to me one day, he said, Steve, you are the absolute worst tire builder that I have. But you show up every day, and you do your best, and you don't take two days off after you get paid to get drunk, and you, are, and you, you, you do the best that you can, and so I, I keep you on. Well, I knew I was a bad tire builder, and I used to have nightmares and, of like wrecks on the freeway, 15 car pileups, and all of them had Uniroyal tires that were blown, and there was blood and bones and everything everywhere. But I was a union guy. I was a proud member of the Rubber Workers Union. All I had to do was pay dues. In Thyatira, it was different. If you didn't join one of the guilds, you didn't work. But it wasn't just paying dues. You had to participate in the activities of the guild. And each guild had its own patron god to give them favor. So you had to go to the feast days of this patron god. You had to participate in whatever the activities were of this thing. And so you went to church on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, that was union time. And you participated in the things of the world. They were in a dilemma. They had no difficulty worshiping Christ on Sunday and then going to the union meetings and participating in the rites and feasts associated with their guild protector. And in the modern Christian church, don't we have the same problem? We come and worship God on Sunday because, I don't know, why are we here? Why, why are we here? The golf tournament is going on as we speak. There's dinner in the oven. There are things to do. Why are we here? Okay, anyone else? Somebody better say something on that side of the room. <laughs> We're here to worship. What, but what happens to us when we walk out Monday morning? We go back to work. And work may or may not, life may or may not include God. Some of us, and I, I was really in, I did this the greater part of my life. I left God in church on Sunday and went out and did what I did. It's not like I was a criminal. Well, yeah, sorry. Well, well sometimes I was, but, <laughs> but not all the time. But I did my own thing. This arrangement, God on Sunday and man the rest of the week, had its roots in another heresy that was formulating in the first century. And this was an idea that since God, since Jesus was God, the Word became flesh, that he really was 
only spiritual because God is a spirit. And he was in the body of Jesus, but he wasn't really the body. It was like some kind of astral projection. So Jesus encased the spirit of God, but he wasn't really God. Okay, so they were, this idea was going around that since Jesus is only a spirit and God is only a spirit, then what happens in your physical life really has no connection to God. So it's okay. Jezebel was teaching this philosophy in the first century church in Thyatira that it is okay to worship God on Sunday and then what you do in your physical life really doesn't matter. It doesn't have any effect on your spiritual life. Jezebel could have been a real person named this, but I don't know how. If you ever read the Old Testament, you would never name your kid Jezebel. Uh, she's a, uh, priest, uh, a princess uh, of what is today Lebanon. And, and she married Ahab, King Ahab of Israel. And she had convinced the people that it was okay to worship Baal and Astaroth and Yahweh at the same time. So you could go, if they're, if they're handing out cool stuff at the synagogue, you could go there, and then you could go worship Baal the next day, and then you could go have sex with the priestesses at Astaroth's temple on Wednesday, and then you could go back to the synagogue on Saturday, and everything was cool. Um, Baal and Astaroth and Yahweh were on an equal footing when she was the queen of Israel. Now she is in Thyatira teaching this same thing. It's okay to go to union meetings and then go to church. Baal was the god of fire. He demanded sacrifice. The sacrifices which he demanded were children babies. This is in a, uh, a, a description of that. The bronze statue had a gaping mouth and arms extended to receive the sacrifice. The fire was lit in the belly of the statue, and the child was placed on the arms. And when the limbs would contract from the heat, the body would roll into the open mouth and be consumed. Flutes and drums played continually to drown out the screams of the children. Astaroth was Baal's consort, goddess of war and fertility, and she was worshipped by having sex with the male or female prostitutes that lived in her temple. So a union meeting in Thyatira was a little bit different than a meeting of the United Rubber Workers. The United Rubber Workers were voting on health care or wages. But in Thyatira it was, honey, don't wait up for me tonight. I'm going to the union hall. Little sex, little barbecue. I could do my own thing. For 1,500 years, 
The Catholic Church combats this kind of heresy. Okay? That there is no connection between life as we live it and life in God. The emphasis becomes on the deeds that we do. For 1,500 years, the Catholic sequence of salvation is faith, belief, repentance, sacraments, works. Then we get the Reformation in 1519. And Luther's formulation and the Protestant formulation of salvation is faith, belief, baptism. Neither the Protestants or the Catholics would promote union meetings. They both got it right, but they both got it wrong. They missed the point of God. Both of these groups, the Protestants and the Catholics, make religion, sacraments, rules, regulations, beliefs, doctrines. They miss the point. God is not the slightest bit interested in our religion. His revelation to Luther was that the life of a Christian must be rooted in faith, but it goes beyond that. It goes beyond belief. It goes beyond sacraments. It goes beyond deeds. It is that we are to unite ourselves with God in the fellowship like it was in Eden. It is a spiritual relationship. It is not a conformity to a series of beliefs. Christ did not come to make Christianity. His Philozenus is a early church father, and his contention was that the original sin in Eden was the perversion of the simple communion of spirit that Adam and Eve had with the Spirit of God. And he perverted that into a false belief in which we inserted ourselves into the process and we would become God on our own. And that is what the modern church has become. We're busy becoming God on our own by the things that we believe and the things that we follow. But God wants so much more We've forgotten that God is a spirit. We've forgotten that we are to meet him as a spirit. And this week I was thinking about this, and it really was imprinted on me that if I don't see God as a spirit, and I just believe in him in my mind or from what I've read, I have a, I have a mythology. I need to see him as a spirit. My spirit needs to unite with him. And I need to see other people as spirits. If I only see you as flesh and blood, then I can treat you any way that I want to. And that's okay. But if I see you as a spirit, 
as a reflection of God's Spirit, then that, that makes me much more responsible for the way that I treat you. It makes me much more responsible to God if my spirit is His spirit than whether I am just going through this life as a human being. So I meet, um, uh, Cress Myers and I have uh, breakfast every week, and Mike Pulley and I, we have dinner every week, and we talk about great philosophical problems. So I was at breakfast with Cress the other day, and I had the need for, to have this philosophical problem answered. So I said, Cress, I have a philosophical problem for you. He said, yes, my brother. <laughs> Cress, is it butt naked or buck naked? And then we went on with real problems. We discussed David Hillis's sermon from last Sunday. And Hillis talked about, uh, David talked about um, secret sins. So Cress and I got out several napkins and we started making lists of our secret sins. We made a list of 167. Cress had 150. <laughs> I had 17. But some of those went back to when I was a baby, so it was pretty equal. So I said, okay, what do we do with these? And he said, well, we repent. And I said, well, what does that mean? And he said, well, you turn away from it. You t turn 180 degrees and you leave the sins behind you. And I said, well, how's that working for you? He said, okay, it's not working for me. And so then we'd begin to discuss repentance. The original meaning in the Greek of the word repentance is not to turn away. It is to turn to. It is to, and the, and the literal interpretation of the word, Greek word, is acquire the higher mind. So if we just make a mind decision to turn our back on all of this garbage, we are not going to be able to do it on our own strength. We have to turn to the higher mind of God. God has to become so full in our mind that this stuff doesn't matter anymore. It's the pursuit of God, it's the filling of the Holy Spirit that will put these things in the background. It's impossible for us to do it with our minds. If we don't have a spiritual acquisition of God's mind, if we are not moving towards Him, then we're going to stay right where we are with these things chasing us. We must be born again. It is a spiritual birth. John 3, 5 through 8. 
I assure you most solemnly, unless a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What is born from the flesh is flesh. What is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not at my telling you, you must be born from above. The wind breathes where it will, and though you hear its sound, yet you neither know where it comes from nor where it is going. We must be born of the Spirit. When I was born, little Stevie Reed, in Detroit, Michigan, I was really a beautiful baby. My sisters were jealous of me. The neighborhood just thought I was the greatest thing that had ever happened on St. Clair Avenue. I was 17 pounds of great, no, I was only seven pounds. I was seven pounds of all kinds of possibilities. I was born flesh, mind, and spirit. When I committed to Christ along the way, I was 14, my mind believed that God existed. The Spirit called me. My mind said, yes, I believe that there is a God. And then my mind decided that I would pursue Christ. His Spirit came into me. I walked out of that Methodist Youth Fellowship meeting on Sunday night, and on Monday morning, I was right back at my own life again. I hadn't realized what had happened to me, that I had power of the Spirit of God in me. I had made a decision in my mind, but I had not committed my spirit to the pursuit of God. The problem is that the mind has a will of its own. We are mind, we are body, we are spirit, but the mind stands between the flesh and the spirit. So it looks like this. Spirit, mind, flesh. The mind is standing here. The spirit. Steve, why are you standing in front of the refrigerator? I need something salty. <laughs> you don't need anything salty. Well, something salty would really taste good. Salty is always good. <laughs> you just ate two hours ago. You had a cheeseburger and fries and a Coke. You are not hungry. Yeah, I guess I'm really not hungry. Doesn't matter if you are hungry or not. It's all about wanting things that are really cool and good for you. I really want things that are good and cool for me. No, you don't. No, you don't. You are fat. <laughs> you can work out in the morning. <laughs> I can work out in the morning. You are not going to work out in the morning. I could work out in the morning. Just eat it. 
Well, you know, just one more pound. It's not going to, like, disqualify me from Obamacare. And that's the way it works. You have the spirit that says to you, this is right. And my, my mother-in-law, she used to send Vicki on her way to school or life or whatever. And her whole adage was, just do what's right. We don't need rules and regulations. We know in our spirits, because our spirits are part of God's spirit, we know what is right. We just don't do it. Because we are dependent on our minds to make up, make a logical argument for what we should do. But if we gave ourselves over to the Spirit of God and pursued the higher mind, then we would have so much more control over our flesh, over the things of the world. Political writer ben, Dr. Ben Carson tells this story. My mama has everything, so I was looking for a new gift. So I found these two chickens, and they could dance, and they could sing, and they could talk. So I bought them for $5,000 a piece, and I sent them to her for her birthday. So after her birthday, I called her, and I said, Mama, how'd you like the chickens? And she said, mm-hmm, they was good. I said, Mama, you didn't eat those chickens. Mm-hmm. Mama, those chickens could sing and dance. Those chickens could talk. Well, then they should have said something. <laughs> we need to say something. We need to say something in the world. Not just here on Sundays. We need to say something in the world. Christ should not disappear from where we are any day of the week. That was the problem with Thyatira. Sunday was God. Monday through Saturday was Baal, Astaroth, whatever else was happening. We need to speak up with our lives. We need to do the will of God and bring people together in love. And that is the work of the Spirit. The way of religion, the way of the mind, is that we do this in order to get that. We believe to get salvation. We give to get blessed. We pray to get stuff. The way of the Spirit lives for two purposes only, and that is to do the will of God and to bring people in love with who he is. We don't exist in two parts. We exist in three. And if we travel life suppressing the spirit, we end up pretending that we are Christians. We justify ourselves by the values of others,
we end up like William Blake described, we are dead leaves tinkling in the shadow of the cross. Christianity is not about right belief. It is about the right life. It is not about religion. It is about the Spirit. And if we are to become the mind of Christ, we must do the work on a daily basis, not just in here. Our God must not be too small to sustain us. He must be bigger than the Bible. He must be greater than a doctrine. He must be more stupendous, more going, ongoing than any religion or Sunday afternoon. But in order to move toward the higher mind of Christ, we need to know how to discern his voice. If we don't learn his voice, then we will never know what the Spirit is saying to us. We need to listen more than we speak, and we need to listen for his voice. So there is an author, uh, Frank McKinney, and he wrote this book called The Tap. So if you grew up Pentecostal, you would recognize the tap as the movement of the Holy Spirit. Okay, but we're going to just going to call it the tap. And what he, his reference is that God taps us, the Holy Spirit taps us, moves on us throughout our lives, throughout the day, to do things that are of God. We either don't recognize the voice or we're not listening. So he talks about this as uh, several stages of this. First one is tap root. You are conscious of a pull, but you don't have the time, money, or desire. So I'm going to equate this with um, giving. Okay? So I'm sitting in church and the offering is coming. And Pastor Duane is going to pray over the offering. Or, uh, and here comes the plate. And I say, well, I know I'm supposed to give, but you got, oh, man, I just don't have it this week. I just, you know, we're saving for this holiday, and um, I, just, I, I just don't have it. I, just can't, I know I'm supposed to give, but I just I don't, don't want to do it. I want to do it, but I, I, okay, and you pass it by. That's, that's where I was for a long time. Tap shoes. What is the least that I can do? Next Sunday. Okay, here comes the plate again. Okay, all right. I know I've got to give something. So I'll just, okay, I got five bucks. That'll leave me enough money to go out after church and have dinner. So you pop five bucks in there. That's good. The next one is tap show. What will I get out of doing this? Who is watching? Here comes the plate. I don't really want to give anything. I may not even give the five bucks, but people are watching me as the plate is coming. So I'm going to crinkle up my connect card and just put my whole fist in there. Or, what will I get out of doing this? 
I've listened to televangelist people, and it goes like this. Give to this ministry, and God will bless you. If you want a piano, and you give to this ministry, God will give you a piano. You will get what you give. So give. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, if I didn't give anything and I just saved my money, I could buy my own piano. <laughs> Tap scales. It makes me feel good to give. So I'm going to do it. Every other week, I will give something. That's cool. That's, I mean, all of that is good. But we are still in the realm of the mind. We are deciding what we are going to do. We are rationalizing it. We're weighing the consequences. We are making a rational decision. It is still up here in religion. We're either doing it for a purpose, we're doing it to be seen, or we're doing it because it's our duty to do that, and God says we're supposed to give. All of that is good because you're still giving it in there. Dwayne's going to retire someday. Okay? We need new carpet. All of this stuff. Giving is always good. But that doesn't mean because it's good, it has anything to do with God in his relationship with us. We need to get past the duty of giving or doing good works because I'm a Christian and I do good stuff. And it needs to become part of our spirit, of who we are. Tap point. The right time is always. I begin looking for ways to give, opportunities. This is the transition point between the mind and the body and the spirit. You are getting to the point where it's not a duty anymore. It's not 10%. It's not, well, I'll have them take it out of my paycheck so that way I don't really have to write the check. I'll just give the, the 10%. It, it becomes part of who you are. You can't help it. It's just you give because your spirit is acquiring the higher mind of God. You're moving away from what is a duty, what is prescribed, what is religion into the spirit realm. And in the spirit realm, there is no limit to giving. There is no limit to life. There is no limit to where God can take us. Tapped in. It's not about me anymore or how I feel. I'm not going to weigh this thing out in my mind. Giving is every opportunity. It's not a mind thing. It's a spirit thing. The tap, the movement of the spirit, occurs all the time. We're either not listening for it, we're not looking for it, we're not wanting to see it. But it's there all the time. And it's not just money, it's 
opening a door, carrying somebody's package, filling up the copier with paper instead of running through the last page and then zipping out the door so somebody else has to do it. It's acts of kindness. And if we start asking God to open our ears to hear the tap, we will hear it. If we want God to speak to us, He will speak. That's a decision you have to make with your mind. But it will come out as a filling of the Spirit in your life and a connection with the Spirit of God. Life only holds together if we have faith in the meaning that all of life is part of God's movement in the earth. Life is not separate from God. Work is not separate from the church. Humanity is not to be judged. Man's spirit is not separate from my spirit. If we do that, if it becomes Sunday only, or religion, or I only see other people as flesh instead of spirit, then we might as well be living in Thyatira. The more we make God into a Sunday-type duty, the more distance we create from the Spirit. And the more we choose ourselves until finally all that is required of God is that He put a stamp of approval on whatever we believe. Christ must be lived every day. We are not Christianities. We are imitators of Christ. So I will leave you with these words from George MacDonald, who was the chaplain to Queen Victoria. I simply argue that the cross be raised again. at the center of the marketplace as well as on the steeple of the church. Jesus was not crucified in a cathedral between two candles, but on the town garbage heap between two thieves in a town so cosmopolitan they had to write his name in four languages. It was the kind of place where soldiers gambled, thieves cursed, and the religious mocked and talked smut. It was a place of judgment, sexuality, commerce. That is where he died, and that is where he must live again. So this message is about four things for you to ponder this week. Christianity is not a religion. In order to live in the power of God and the union of the Holy Spirit, we need to know the resurrected Christ. If we only know him in the Bible, or we only know him from what people tell us about him, and we don't know him in his reality, then our religion is a mythology. We have to know the reality. Repentance gives us new birth, but it is only the beginning. It is not the end. 
It is not a turning away from things. It is a turning towards the mind of God. It is moving towards obtaining the higher mind, the Holy Spirit. And lastly, if we are to know the voice of the Holy Spirit, we need to practice listening. Listen for the tap. Ask for it. God will put in front of us things that need to be done. From the small things to the large things. Thyatira lived one day for God and six for me. We cannot let that happen to us. We can't live Christ in this building only. It has to become not a duty, not an obligation, but a uniting of our spirit with God's spirit and a way of life. Father, thank you for this day you've given us. Thank you for being in our midst. Lord, show yourself to us this week. Tap us. Speak to us. Help us along the way to find your mind and your spirit and to unite ourselves in your heart. Amen.